you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about Jim Baker's magical venereal disease gel and the amazing things it cures. Then we're going to be talking about how much shit he got in for claiming it cures amazing things. Then we're going to talk about a pastor blaming the homosexuals for the coronavirus. Then we're going to talk about activist mommy's pure, unadulterated rage over Joe Biden's solution to overpopulation. But before we get into all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Uh, this is Jeremy from uh, Tennessee. I was just wondering, as someone who's ex-NIFB, my, I, I want to know, if you found out that the God of the King James Version of the Bible was real, would you side with him and convert, or would you side with the devil? Thanks for taking my call. That's a good question. So it sounds to me like Jeremy said they're ex-NIFB. That's amazing. I am so glad to hear that you got out of that group. That is an extremely scary and disturbing group to be a part of. So glad to hear you're out of that. To answer your question, if I found out that the God of the King James Bible was real, would I side with him or would I side with the devil? That's a that's an interesting question. If you really think about it, the the God of the King James Bible is a moral monster. He does all kinds of really horrific stuff, kills people for no reason or or very little reason, and is unforgiving at the best of times. I would have to say I would do what is it? What did Jehovah's Witnesses call it? Conscientious objection. That's what it is. I would conscientiously object, just like Jehovah's Witnesses do conscientious objection for wars. They won't take part in war or anything like that. That's exactly what I would do. I would abstain. I would stay out of it because I couldn't, in good conscience, side with the God of the Bible. He is a monster. So there's your answer. I appreciate the phone call. It was an interesting question for sure. And like I said, I'm glad you're out of the NIFB. I can't imagine that was easy to escape. Hey, my name is Roy Sharon. Uh, rather than fighting the uh, cult and the cult mindset, shouldn't we be looking at rationality as far as and rhetoric to uh, prevent the uh, sickness in the first place? Cheers, mate. Yeah, thank you so much for that that call. It, it is a good question. Should we be uh, fighting the rhetoric that leads people to that in the first place? I don't believe that it's rhetoric that leads people to a cult-like mindset. I don't think it's the things that people are saying, uh, largely. I think like when, Pe- when Jehovah's Witnesses rope somebody into a cult, or, or Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, Mormons... I think the reason largely most of the time is because they get people into an emotional... They get people when they're in an emotionally vulnerable state. That's a large part of it. They try to get people who are down or whose family member just died or whose pet just died or is depressed or just lost their job... Somebody who is in an emotionally vulnerable state, they attack those people. They go after their weaknesses, and they tell them, look, there's hope. We have hope. We can offer it to you. It's not really a logical thing, joining a cult isn't. It's an emotional thing. So 
I think that the tactics that I've been taking up to this point have largely been successful, but I don't think that um, I don't think that my tactics are the only useful ones. I think that there are a lot of people out there on YouTube and elsewhere who have written books on this stuff and everything else who also have perfectly valid tactics to try to prevent people from joining or or pulling people out of the cults in the first place. I can tell you this, though. I I know that I have pulled a lot of people out of cults, but I have also prevented a lot of people from joining them. Regardless of the fact that they are in an emotional state and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses are exploiting that fact about them, the people will still go to the internet and just Google it real quick. Like, Google is Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism's worst enemy. They didn't used to have to worry about what would turn up on search engines when people searched for Jehovah's Witnesses. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, they didn't have to worry about controlling the narrative on such an open and free platform like the internet. They only had to worry about what the press was saying about them largely. And they do try to control that to some extent now, what the press is saying, but their worst enemy is definitely the internet now. Hey, Owen. I was wondering, I was watching one of my favorite YouTubers, um, ContraPoint, um, and she mentioned um, how she thought that incels and incel culture are a cult. And I was wondering if you've ever looked into that or what if you consider them a cult or just simply cult-like. Are they maybe one of those like second-tier cults that you talk about? Um, I was just wondering what you thought about that. Thanks. That's a good question. Um, I, I really honestly don't know a whole lot about incels aside from just what I see around and what I hear around about them. The term incel means involuntarily celibate, right? So it it's used to describe people who for one reason or another, can't link up with a mate. Maybe their personality is garbage. Maybe they're just not attractive. Maybe they're overweight or something. And they can't manage to link up with a mate. The term itself is very broad. But as you mentioned, I did outline basically a tier system or like a, a, a cult layer model is what I call it, where you've got layer three cults, or level three cults, which are centralized hierarchical cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, things like that. Top-down leadership with generals who control the everyday life of the members. That would be level three. Level two, as I defined, are decentralized focused cults, which are focused on a single figure like Onision or Bernie Bros or Trump supporters or something like that. So they're focused on one central figure who they get all of their information from. Or if it's not all of their information, then they default to that one person as the authoritative source of information. So if there's some kind of a conflict between the information they're receiving in the outside world and what the what their figure is saying they default to the figure every single time so you'll see that with trump supporters like we've got objective facts uh windmills do not cause cancer period that's just they don't cause cancer that's absurd then donald trump comes in and says i've heard windmills cause cancer despite scientific facts saying no they don't 
these people default to believing what Trump is saying about it without question. That So that would be kind of like a layer two or a level two type of cults. There is a lot more to it than, than just that, and I haven't really defined that fully on a video yet, but I'm getting to it. And then there's level one, which is decentralized, unfocused. So there's no leadership at the top. There's no real authoritative source necessarily. But in the absence of a hierarchy, like you would find in level three, a hierarchy organically forms. And it forms through increasing your status by criticizing other members and spreading the most propaganda, things like that. Uh, I detailed level one in a video on my main channel fairly recently. But anyways, I did include incels in that list. Now, I can't speak to whether or not incels are actually a real cult or not. I can't speak to whether or not Bernie Bros are actually a real cult or not, because I haven't seen examples of these things personally. I've heard of examples of them, but I can't say for sure. I was just, in the video, I was listing them as examples of things that, if they did exist, would fall into those categories. And I was describing what it would take for them to be considered cults. It was a video on the fat acceptance movement and anti-vaxxers and things like that. So if incels were to be considered a cult, I would want to see, or I would have to see, um, role model formation happening, uh, basically a hierarchy organically forming where where none existed before. There's no focused leadership. There there are no generals. There are no deacons. None of that stuff. No elders. So in the absence of that hierarchy, one organically formed. So that's what that's one of the main things I would be looking for in the incel group is people kind of trying to promote their own status within the group through attacking other people, spreading as much propaganda as they can, and promoting themselves that way. So anyway, something to think about. I appreciate the phone call on that. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. <laughs> hey, uh, this is Anel of Arkansas, and I have a question. How did Jehovah's Witnesses react to their own committing violence? Is it a disfellowshipping um, offense or something? I'm really curious for years. Good question, actually. So I, I've talked about this before with my dad. He was very physically abusive. Um, like, to disturbing degrees. Very, very physically abusive. So what happened to me when I was little? Basically, Jehovah's Witnesses have this rule in place called the two-witness rule, and if there, is, if there are not two victims present or two witnesses, so if my mom was in the room to witness him attacking me, that would be two witnesses, me and my mom. If there weren't two of us, then he couldn't really get in trouble for it exactly. I mean, they may counsel him about it and say, hey, you know, we've heard that your son has told us, you know, some things going on, and you've... He's telling us you're hitting him and things. But he said, she said type of situation, like my word against his was irrelevant. Nothing would happen to him. That rule, the two witness rule, came from the Bible originally. It was designed it was designed as a protection for people who were signing contracts, like business contracts and things like that. Like if you're selling a tractor or a donkey or something to somebody 
there had to be two witnesses present for that contract signing or it didn't happen. Well, Jehovah's Witnesses kind of took that over and implemented it as like a criminal type of situation. Like if somebody is abusing somebody else in one way or another, there have to be either two victims or two witnesses to the crime for it to be believed, basically. So your question is, how do Jehovah's Witnesses react to violence within the religion? They are extreme pacifists. They don't believe in taking part in war themselves, though they do believe that Jehovah is going to take part in war and kill everybody, and they cheer for that. But they don't. Uh, they they just don't believe in in attacking physically or anything like that generally. So how do they react when somebody is abusive? If it can be verified by two people, at least, that this person is doing these things, they it is a disfellowshipping offense, for sure. Yes. Uh, they will get disfellowshipped for that. But before they disfellowship them, typically, they will do their best to try to work the problem out. Like, they'll, you know, counsel them, and they'll talk to them, and try to get their anger under control first. And if that doesn't work... They'll give them a couple of chances, and then they'll send them to a judicial committee, at which point they will be disfellowshipped for it. If it's severe enough, they'll jump straight to the judicial committee. My dad probably would have been disfellowshipped for the abuse that he was perpetrating if the elders had believed it. But, you know, that's all in the past anyway, so. Hi, this is uh, Adam from Iowa. I'm just calling because uh, my girlfriend and I have been talking about religious parallels in uh, fictional media, and she mentioned how there were a lot of parallels between the Mormon faith and Battlestar Galactica. Does the same apply to Jehovah's Witnesses, or do you notice like you know a lot of subtle religious or occult references in modern media? Thank you. Bye. That's an interesting question. Um... I thought Jehovah's Witnesses were like a super fringe group, like almost no, you know, mentions of them anywhere. And any time I'd ever hear a mention of Jehovah's Witnesses, I was like, oh, they mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses. But after leaving the religion, after starting my YouTube channel and talking about this stuff for a living, I came to realize like just how many ex-Jehovah's Witnesses are out there. Like there are a lot out there. Every now and then I do hear a reference on TV, like I'll be watching something and there will be like a Jehovah's Witness on the TV show. I'm like, holy shit. In one of my newer videos, it was a Caleb and Sophia video about technology. I put in a clip of American Pickers, I believe. And they had a Jehovah's Witness phonograph from like, you know, 100 years ago or something. And the woman on American Pickers was like, oh, I'm an ex-Jehovah's Witness. Isn't that crazy? Like every time I hear something like that, I'm like, oh my God, that's that's so that's so awesome. It's like a kinship almost. She's all tatted up from head to toe. It was the shit. But to answer your question about like Battlestar Galactica and things like that, I think Scientology probably takes the cake for the most sci-fi-esque belief system. They've got like a really, really in-depth, weird like creation myth, basically. It's about somebody named Lord Xenu. I'm not sure. I think he was like a, he ruled over a bunch of different planets and he called people in. They had an overpopulation problem. So he called people in under the guise of 
uh, IRS audits, basically. Like You can see that L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, had this deep-seated fear of the IRS and paying taxes. So Xenu called people in under the guise of tax audits, and when they would come in for the audit, he would basically put them in hibernation, I guess. He'd freeze them, I believe. And he put them on a bunch of spaceships that looked just like DC-8s. His words, not mine. I believe he said DC-8 planes from like the 50s or the 60s or something. Flew them to Earth, dropped the people into volcanoes, and dropped uh, hydrogen bombs on them, I believe. Either hydrogen bombs or atom bombs. And now they're all just kind of floating around and they attach their, their souls now. They attach themselves every to a baby. Every time a new baby's born, they attach themselves to the baby. And after you get to a high enough level in their religion, basically like operating Thetan level three, OT3, I think you have to spend like 400 grand to get there. Everything past that point is they reveal all this information to you about Lord Xenu takes you like 10 years to get to this point so the vast majority of scientology members don't even know this story and the rest of your time in scientology is spent trying to exercise these thetans from your body so i would say scientology is the most like a sci-fi story out of any religion probably because l ron hubbard was a sci-fi writer hi my name is carson and i live in california i'm really questioning my gender identity uh, I told my school counselor that I was questioning, and they outed me to my parents, who are very conservative Christians. My dad got really angry with me and told me that I was going to hell, and my parents and family friends like to tell me that it's just a phase and that being trans is wrong. They really make me feel terrible and doubt myself. They also like to blame me possibly being trans on my autism for whatever reason. I remember when I was younger being so afraid to mention my gender struggle to anyone, and I even tried to pretend to be a girl by wearing dresses and trying to act like a stereotypical girl, which made me really feel terrible. It made me become very suicidal to the point where I had to be hospitalized, and with everything going on, I was afraid I might relapse. Thankfully, I was able to talk to my therapist, who was able to refer me to a gender therapist. So hopefully things will start looking up, and hopefully they will be able to help me figure out my gender and maybe help me get rid of all this constant self-doubt. Um, today is my first appointment, and I'm really kind of excited. Anyways, though, thanks for listening, and I hope you have a good day. Thank you for calling. I'm glad that you are talking to a therapist about this, uh, specifically a it looks like you said a gender therapist. That's really good. As somebody who can work with you on this and maybe get you HRT if that is the path that it ends up taking. I noticed here it said, I told my school counselor I was questioning and they outed me to my parents. That is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life, seriously, that they would out you like that. That is beyond infuriating that's what you get with an ass backwards christian nation school counselor that's what you get when you live in a country where 
some obnoxious percentage of them believe that Noah's Ark is a real literal story. It's absolutely disgusting. But it sounds like things are looking up for you. I am glad to hear that things are looking up. I'll tell you what, if you want to call back in at some point and give us an update on the situation, then I will keep a lookout for it. Good luck. And I notice here it says you became suicidal, where you had to be hospitalized with everything going on. You are not alone in that. You're not alone in that. You, I'm sure you know that. Rachel Oates has dealt with that on and off throughout her life, as I'm sure most people are aware. She's pretty awesome, actually. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to her or watched her videos, then you should, because she talks about that kind of thing from time to time. It may be of some use to you. But good luck at any rate, and give us an update, because I'll be keeping an eye out for it. Hi, Owen. This is Evan slash Nucleomaniac. And I was wondering, what would be some good questions to ask Jehovah's Witnesses that they show up or friends of yours or anything like that? Love the stuff you do. Thank you. Bye. I was writing a book at one point that was basically the Jehovah's Witness version of the CES letter. I don't know if you guys know what the CES letter is, but it's basically this big long letter that somebody named... Jeremy Runnels wrote to the Mormon church, and it was questions for them, basically inconsistencies in their belief system. So he was demanding answers to those inconsistencies. It was things like Joseph Smith had a King James Bible that was written between these years, say like 1620 and 1640. There were very specific errors from that very specific translation of the King James Version of the Bible, right? Why are those specific errors in the Book of Mormon? As if that, you know, he just came up with them off the top of his head. Why are those errors in there? They shouldn't be. Or there's a claim by the Mormon Church that Native Americans are descendants of Israelites. We have DNA testing proving that they are not descended from Israelites. They are descendants of uh, Asians, largely. Why does the Mormon church claim this stuff? And I mean, this letter goes into just vivid detail about why these are inconsistencies, why they should be addressed, and it pretty much completely invalidates the Book of Mormon. It is probably the single most valuable thing to come out in the past since Mormonism was created, to debunk Mormonism. And I was writing something like that for Jehovah's Witnesses, basically the Jehovah's Witnesses CES letter. And I, I got pretty deep in it, but I wasn't super comfortable with it, so I hadn't really moved forward with it lately. But um, it, it is on my list. Question one. Do you believe that death didn't exist until Adam and Eve sinned? And if so, what happened to the dinosaurs? Question two, why did God allow humans who had sinned, namely Adam and Eve, to procreate instead of quarantining them and creating a new perfect breeding pair? Number four, how can you justify the early president of the Watchtower Society having a large mansion constructed with members' money during the Great Depression in the US and deeded to Bible characters? How can you justify him choosing to live in it until those 
Bible characters returned. Number five. According to Deuteronomy 18.22, we shouldn't fear people who prophesy falsely. After 30 failed predictions, and one current prediction out that's bound to fail in the next 15 years or so, when should we stop listening to you? Number six. How can you show your faces publicly again after popularizing phrases such as stay alive to 75, telling people that's when Armageddon was going to take place? Number seven, do you agree with the 1947 Watchtower that excommunication by the Catholic Church is a pagan practice, or at the very least wrong? And if so, why do you practice it in the form of disfellowshipping? Number eight, do you think that pagan practices are wrong? If so, why do you wear wedding rings, which is firmly rooted in pagan tradition? Number nine, how can you justify desperately begging your members for money when the founder clearly said that God would supply the organization with enough money as long as it still had God's blessing? We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Jim Baker's magical venereal disease gel and the amazing things it cures. So give us about 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The first article I wanted to take a look at is called Jim Baker, My Venereal Disease Gel Was Practically Created by God in Heaven. Now, this article was written by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist blog, FriendlyAtheist.com. So give it a look. It's actually pretty interesting, but let's read it and see what it has to say. Televangelist Jim Baker has long claimed his silver solution, quote-unquote, can get rid of all venereal diseases. Even coronavirus in under 12 hours, no less. Even SARS and HIV. That is a tall claim. Yesterday he was right back at it, claiming his silver was almost like a miracle and that God created it in heaven. This is a tweet from Right Wing Watch. It says, This is now the fifth time that Jim Baker has claimed that the silver solution he sells kills every venereal disease that there is, declaring that the product is almost like a miracle. It's like God created it in heaven to help us. This is back to Hemant Mehta. All of this is a lie. None of this has been proven. Use the snake oil at your own peril. Baker and his crew are right-wing Christians. They don't care about lying. Yeah, solid point. It's also worth asking how and why so many of his older Christian viewers are struggling with venereal diseases. As we've said before, this product won't cure anything, but there are serious side effects. On his website, there's a link specifically for California residents, a Proposition 65 warning that says, this product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects or other reproductive harm. How long will Baker be able to promote harmful snake oil on his show before he hurts someone? Well, this isn't the end of the story, interestingly enough. There is an update to the story, and the name of the article is New York Attorney General to Jim Baker. Stop saying your silver solution cures coronavirus. Can this guy get any stupider? Is it possible? Is it humanly possible? So let's read it. This, this one was by Hemant Mehta also uh, on the Friendly Atheist blog. For nearly two years, televangelist Jim Baker's been hawking a silver solution that functions as a faith-based miracle drug. 
At first, he said it could get rid of all venereal diseases, but in the past several weeks, he's been promoting it as a cure for coronavirus in under 12 hours, no less, as well as a way to prevent SARS and HIV. This is a quote from Right Wing Watch. The Jim Baker show is suggesting that the silver solution it sells can kill the coronavirus within 12 hours. Now, a lot of you guys may be unaware of the coronavirus, may not be aware of, you know, its full effects and what's happening with it and everything else. Let me just give you guys a little bit of information on it, the little bit of information that I have right now so that you have an idea of what it is. The coronavirus is a type of virus. It's it's like a category, basically, from my understanding. And in that category are SARS, MERS, and now this, COVID-19. This is COVID-19 is the main one that we're dealing with at this immediate moment. It came out of China, I believe, originally, not too long ago. I think it's only been like a month or two or, or somewhere in there. It does have potential to kill people. The reports coming out of China that I've seen, and I looked straight from the World Health Organization's website, the report that I saw said 3.5% of the cases reported in China resulted in death. A lot of the cases had underlying health issues already. Factor that into the whole equation. Outside of China, I believe the debt, the mortality rate was 1.95%. 195 people die out of every 10,000 cases reported outside of China up to this point. So the mortality rate is pretty high compared to other viruses, but it disproportionately affects older people, people over 65, for example. It disproportionately affects people with asthma because it's a respiratory illness. So if you have some kind of a lung issue like asthma or something, then you are at increased risk for severe symptoms. We'll put it that way. So it's something to keep an eye on. It's something to think about. But generally speaking, if you're a healthy adult, you're, you probably have nothing to worry about outside of possibly transmitting it to the people around you, the older people in your life. So be careful. If you're sick, then stay home, for example. Don't, don't, don't even risk spreading it to people around you because we want to keep that mortality as low as physically possible. That being said, interestingly enough, as it turns out, children are the least susceptible to severe symptoms. So children have had it. There are reports of children having it, but it's extremely early right now in the life cycle of this virus, basically. It's so new that we don't really have a whole lot of information about how it acts. But the reports that we do have are telling us that children are not as susceptible to this virus as adults, and adults are not as susceptible as uh, people over 65. That is a, a ray of light in the, the otherwise dark news. Children aren't as, as susceptible to severe symptoms. So here comes Jim Baker peddling this silver solution to cure coronavirus. Now, the news is already running absolutely wild with this story. Like, people are freaking out about this, like buying six-month supplies of food and stuff, going completely nuts over this. Now, I think some precautions are warranted. I don't think a mass panic is warranted. Seriously, I mean, the Spanish flu was worse than this, higher mortality rate, and killed a whole hell of a lot more people. 
from the looks of it at this immediate moment, this looks like it's on par with the common cold or the flu with a slightly higher mortality rate. It's just not studied enough yet. It's just too new for us to know yet. So I don't think panic is warranted. I'm not going to panic yet. Nervardia left a super chat here. I want to read it. Colloidal silver is only really good for liver damage and turning you blue. It might not help with wound healing, but at least you get to be a smurf. Interesting that you mentioned that because my mom actually used colloidal silver, gave me colloidal silver when I was a little kid, fascinatingly. She was kind of a a homeopathic, like, wooey kind of anti-vax type of person my mom was. I did get all of my vaccines eventually because it was, like, forced. Like, my state wouldn't allow me to go to school without them. But, yeah, I took all kinds of homeopathic remedies. Remedies, quote-unquote. Anyway, let's, let's finish the article. He also said the silver is almost like a miracle and that God created it in heaven. A 12-pack of 16-ounce bottles of silver solution will run you about $300. All of this is insanely dangerous. Who knows how many people have bought the snake oil in lieu of something useful. On his online store where the solution is sold, there's a link specifically for California residents. A Proposition 65 warning that says, This product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects or other reproductive harm. Now the state of New York is taking action. Attorney General Letita James announced today that her office sent a cease and desist order to Baker this week as part of an overall action plan against coronavirus scams. Good. That's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that they're acting against this because seriously, coronavirus, uh, I'm really genuinely not that afraid of it right now. If I get it, I will be perfectly fine. And while I have it, I'll just stay away from, you know, the older people in my life or anybody else in my life just to prevent them from contracting it. But we don't need people using this mass panic to profit. I think that's straight up wrong. Like this guy using snake oil to make a profit off of what's happening right now. It's just wrong. The letter was signed by Lisa Landau, the chief of the healthcare bureau. This is a quote from the letter, I think. The World Health Organization, WHO, has noted that there is no specific medicine to prevent or treat this disease. Therefore, any representation on the Jim Baker show that its silver solution products are effective at combating and or treating the 2019 novel coronavirus violates New York law. Nice. Your show is hereby advised to immediately cease and desist from making misleading claims regarding the Silver Solutions' effectiveness as they violate New York's consumer protection statutes, which prohibit fraud and deceptive business practices and false advertising. Additionally, you're advised to immediately affix the disclaimer. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease to all Silver Solution products listed on the show's online store. Interestingly enough, this is not the only instance of that disclaimer being placed on things. Young Living was required to place that disclaimer on their essential oils because they were making claims about the essential oils. And once the claims are out there, they're really hard to get rid of, honestly. Like, you can tell the salesman to stop telling people that it cures cancer, but it doesn't really matter. It's floating around. 
people will hear, oh, I heard that this cures cancer, you know. I'm glad that they made Young Living put that disclaimer on their products, and I'm glad they made Jim Baker do it too. Let's continue reading. This is by Hemant Mehta. A Jim Baker show without misleading claims would be more like a 30-second commercial. But the point is clear. He's lying to people. He needs to stop. That's a good point. And yet, even if he's not saying outlandish things about the silver, the scary thing is that no amount of disclaimers will ever stop his gullible viewers from handing over their money. If the cancer warning didn't do the trick, why would noting the lack of approval from the FDA? That's a good point. I mean, honestly, all he has to do is promote ill will and doubt about the FDA. And that warning all but evaporates. It doesn't even matter. The people will see that he's being persecuted by having to put it on there. This is Jim Baker. He'll just say the product has the approval of God and then continue peddling it. It's the way he's always duped his viewers. In other words, Baker can avoid the $5,000 per violation penalty while still pretending Silver's solution has power. The Attorney General's office doesn't have the power to stop him from fleecing the most ignorant Christians in the country. He just has to use the proper language when doing it. Yeah, that's true. I'm not extremely happy about the solution either, but what can you do? Aside from just making him stop claiming that stuff about it. I mean, that'd be something. Incidentally, Representative Bill Pasquale Jr., a Democrat from New Jersey, sent a letter to Federal Trade Commission Chairman Joseph Simons and U.S. Food and Drug Administrator Dr. Stephen Hahn asking them to investigate Baker's claims as well. At least it's getting attention. That's something. Here's an excerpt from the letter. During his web show on his website, televangelist James Baker has repeatedly made misleading claims that a nano-silver formula product he sells, Optivita Silver Soul, successfully treats novel coronavirus and cures venereal disease among a plethora of preposterous assertions by Baker that threaten the public health, Representative Pasquale writes the FTC and FDA. A prominent televangelist, Baker was imprisoned for nearly five years after being convicted in federal court for mail fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy, and defrauding his followers. I didn't know that about Baker. I knew that about Kent Hovind. I knew Kent Hovind was arrested for tax evasion, I think, or something like that, or structuring. It was something really, some really specific tax-related offense that Hovind was arrested for and spent like 10 years in prison over. On public broadcasts, Baker has claimed that the Optivita Silver Soul product he sells can cure viruses, wound and skin conditions, anti-inflammatory sinus infections, allergies, cold and flu, bronchitis. These claims are not only dangerous, they are false, misleading, and can only steer consumers away from legitimate ways to prevent infections. The FDA and FTC have not yet taken action. Whatever the outcome, give a lot of credit to Right Wing Watch for keeping tabs on Baker and reporting on his lies. Without their scrutiny and ability to let Baker's words do the heavy lifting, who knows when Baker's claims would ever catch up to him. That's pretty on point. I agree. I find it interesting, though, that colloidal silver is as bullshit as it is, because it's like it's like when you grow up and you find out that like your mom was just completely full of shit. Like, just everything that she did was the wrong decision. Like, every decision she made, you realize how big of a sucker your parents were. It's it's a really fascinating realization to come to. Anyways, glad this is catching up to Baker, and I hope real action is taken. 
for this because this is not good. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a pastor blaming the homosexuals for the coronavirus. So give us 30 seconds and we will be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is, again, by The Friendly Atheist. This one's by Beth Stoneburner, actually, on The Friendly Atheist website. The title is, Right-Wing Pastor, God Sent Us Coronavirus Because of Homosexuality. Uh, I imagine you guys probably saw the thumbnail and connected the dots on that one. So let's see how the homosexuals are to blame for the coronavirus. Look, if you're going to be a bigot in the 21st century, at least try and get some new material. Blaming gay people for everything that goes wrong in society, including the spread of the coronavirus, as Pastor Stephen Andrew of the USA Christian Church is doing, is getting pretty old. Honestly, it was getting pretty old from day one. Andrew found a way to connect LGBTQ people, women who have abortions, and people who don't worship as he does with the epidemic. Of course he did. Here's a quote. Our safety is at stake since national disobedience of God's laws brings danger and diseases such as coronavirus, but obeying God brings covenant protection. Exodus 15:26. God protects the USA from danger as the country repents of LGBT, false gods, abortion and other sins. Is this really any surprise to anybody though? I mean, this is the kind of thing we've come to expect from extremist right-wing preachers like this. He added that March is Repent of LGBT Sin Month. Oh, is it? Okay. Which I doubt is what anyone is giving up for Lent. That's funny. Well, you know what that means, right? If you're gay, it means you need to go out and have as much gay sex as physically possible. Just don't give your body a rest. Go do it. You have to make up for the repenting that he's doing. So go. Get, get to work. What are you doing watching this or listening to this? Get to work. All right, let's continue reading this. In any case, his attempt to link a group he hates with a punishment he enjoys makes no sense. The one time that God destroyed a city for same-sex relations was when he was involved. The real sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was abuse of hospitality. By his logic, the coronavirus is a plague as punishment for white evangelicals embracing Donald Trump as their new messiah, or the silence as refugee kids are put in cages, or their ignorance as SNAP benefits, which is food stamps, as food stamp benefits are taken away from poor families. Or maybe the epidemic has nothing to do with sin, just as a vaccine won't have anything to do with prayer. This pastor just wants to use bad news to lift up his own ministry. That's really true. I Actually, on Twitter recently, I, I tweeted something out. I've been really controversial lately on Twitter. <laughs> I've been really lighting a fire under people's asses on there. Uh, recently I said something like, uh, in 2014, I thought that Ebola was the pestilence horse of the apocalypse, but this time I'm super extra sure that coronavirus is the pestilence horse of the apocalypse. And people couldn't tell if I was serious or not. I feel like I don't talk about atheism enough about the fact that I'm an atheist for people to like really know if I'm joking when I, when I 
kind of parody a Christian extremist. So maybe I should talk about atheism more. I've actually got some PragerU videos in the pipeline at the moment about atheism and God and science and all that stuff. So maybe that'll help. But yeah, I honestly expected Christians to come out of the woodwork and claim that this is the pestilence horse of the apocalypse and all that other stuff. You know, the four horsemen, you've got the... Uh, what were they? I think the pestilence horse, the war horse, famine horse, and then the horse of death or something like that, right? Those are the, I, I think those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about activist mommy's pure unadulterated rage over Joe Biden's solution to overpopulation. So give us 30 seconds and we will be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at was by activist mommy, and the name of it is Joe Biden was asked about overpopulation. His suggestion, let them have abortions. Interesting. I feel like she's probably distorting it just a little bit, Um, but let's just read the article and see what it has to say. At a town hall forum late last month, Democratic presidential frontrunner Joe Biden was asked about some pressing issues believed to be facing our planet, including climate change and overpopulation. According to the Washington Examiner, Biden gave a meandering word salad of a response because what else would we expect from Uncle Joe, including a vague suggestion that removing all roadblocks between a woman and the right to medically assassinate her unborn child to combat overpopulation? Okay. What she said here, Biden gave a meandering word salad of a response... I'm actually kind of concerned for Joe Biden. He he did have brain surgery at one point fairly recently, I believe. And people have been saying it's possible that he's got dementia or it's coming on at the very least. And I, I'm just kind of worried about Joe Biden, actually, in reality. If he does get the, the nomination, I, I am going to vote for him currently. That's my plan. Because... Generally speaking, I vote for the candidate who will do the least harm and who has the highest chance of success. So right now in the primaries, I'm voting Bernie Sanders all the way. When it comes to a general election, if it happens to be Biden, I will do what I did in 2016. I will bitch about it on Twitter. I will complain. I will yell about it. I will hold my nose and hit the Hillary button. I will hit the Biden button. I'm not going to like it, but Biden would be objectively less harmful than Trump because Biden will not fill the Supreme Court or other federal judgeships with right-wing extremist judges. That alone, just right there, is enough reason for me to vote Biden. There are other reasons. He has... He takes climate change seriously, or or at least more seriously than Trump does. I don't worry about his position on abortion, uh, obviously, because this article is talking about that pretty clearly, that he seems to be in support of 
of abortions. So I will be voting for Biden if he happens to be the candidate. I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to do it. Anyway, let's continue with the article, see what else it says. Seriously, according to the examiner, Biden appeared to be wrapping up his South Carolina town hall last Thursday before answering one last question. Quote, the majority of the world's population growth takes place in the poorest countries in the world where women aren't being empowered, an audience member told Biden. What will you do to help empower women in the world's poorest countries? If that isn't the most softball leading question I've ever heard, directly linking over population to the lack of empowerment of women, oh my, whatever could they be referring to? The question set Biden up to spend the next 20 minutes of his life responding to the question, according to the examiner. Quote, Biden noted that the populations in many developed countries have declined, stated that the U.S. should be an example of a global standard for treatment of women, and said programs that help women generate economic growth in those countries should be funded. He then subtly suggested that the U.S. should help those women get access to abortions. I strongly oppose the limitations on the ability for the U.S. to contribute to organizations in these countries that, in fact, provide women's health alternatives for choice, Biden said, prompting applause from the crowd of more than 1,900 people. That sure was an awful lot of extra words when he could have just taken a page out of Marie Antoinette's book and said, let them have abortions. The, the, all right, he, here's the thing with abortion. Um, I under, there, it, It's a nuanced conversation. I understand that it's a nuanced conversation. It's not as cut and dry as it seems all the time. I am in favor of people having the choice to get an abortion, and I will not judge you if you do have one, um, I would be in favor of having one if life circumstances weren't where they need to be. Because at the end of the day, though it is a candidate for the human race, as Christopher Hitchens used to say, it's still 150 cells at a certain point. Like with three days in, it's 150 cells, a blastocyst. There is nothing there. At a certain point, it it gains personhood. So the question is, at what point does it gain personhood? At what point does it kind of gain its status as a human? Because at a certain point, it does gain personhood. But at what point? There's a progression from the date of conception where two cells meet. There's a progression from that point with just two cells all the way to baby. So at what point in that transition does it actually become a person? There are no, there's really no muscle tissue at all to speak of at a certain point during the pregnancy. There's no brain tissue at all at a certain point in the pregnancy. So at what point does it become a human? Like I said, I understand there is a nuanced discussion to be had here. And if you're an atheist, a fellow atheist, and you disagree with my position that abortions should be accepted, socially accepted and legally accepted, up to, say, 10 weeks or 20 weeks, um, if you disagree with me on that, that's okay. I understand that there's a lot to this. That is really okay with me. That's just how I feel personally. So anyways, let's continue reading this. We should end that limitation, Biden added. It's called the Mexico City Rule. We should end that. The Mexico City policy, first established by Ronald Reagan in 1984, requires that overseas organizations 
receiving aid from the U.S. do not promote abortion. Huh, I didn't even know about that. Fascinating. Barack Obama overturned the policy in 2009, but Donald Trump reestablished it in, uh, early in his presidency in January 2017. I had no idea. I did not know about that. For anyone otherwise unaware, I'd like to offer a friendly reminder that the notion of global overpopulation is completely and utterly false. Oh, here we go. Not only does our amazing planet have the square acreage to house more people than could ever possibly exist at one given time. I, okay, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration um, and, and a confusing one at that, but let's just continue reading. It also has the resources to sustain us. That's just flat out not true. Much of what is perceived as overpopulation is, in fact, overcrowding and is solved by better city planning. No, no, it's not. It's not an overcrowding problem. New York City has managed just fine to pack a whole bunch of people into a really tiny place. It's not an overcrowding problem. It, it is a resource problem, okay? For every human on the planet, we need a certain number of acres to grow food to feed that human being. So right now we have like seven, eight billion people I think we're coming up on, on the planet. You can pack them onto this planet like sardines and fill it 10 trillion people wide if you wanted to, I guess, maybe. But where is the food going to grow? You have to find a place to grow the food. GMOs have been contributing a lot to that, helping us uh, solve the problem of overpopulation. It's not an overcrowding problem. That is a complete misunderstanding of the issue here. I feel like this woman starts with the conclusion and works backwards. Nobody's saying that it's overcrowded. We're saying that you can't feed this many people with this little farmland. I know that there's a ton of space in the Arctic where people could build houses. There's a ton of space in Africa that people could build houses. That's not the problem. There's only so much viable farming land. We can't grow crops in the Arctic. The temperatures and seasons just are not right for it. We can't grow certain crops in certain areas of Africa. It, the, the farmland just is not there. And to solve the lack of farmland issue that we're dealing with right now, some countries in South America actually started burning down the Amazon rainforest to make more farmland, to make room for farmland, as devastating as that is. We are destroying the environment by trying to feed our population. We have to do something about this population problem. We have to. Biden's suggestion, allow people to get abortions. I don't think that's really a viable solution because there's still that social stigma behind it. Most people will say, yeah, I'm in favor of allowing people to get abortions, but no, I would never get one myself. I don't think the vast majority of people would get one, no matter how pro-choice they are, no matter how libertarian they are on the issue. So I don't think that's really a viable solution, abortions. That was probably just a talking point to get the crowd to cheer for him. I think a solution to the overpopulation problem it would be step one, get people like this nutcase to realize that it's even a problem.
And step two, limit how many kids people can have to two. China did this forever ago. I think the U.S. could do it too. And allow for exemptions in certain circumstances. Honestly, I don't think that the U.S. is really the issue, though, with overpopulation. The biggest problem right now is probably African countries and Middle Eastern countries. Because they've, like, outright... Some Middle Eastern countries have straight up told their people to reproduce as much as humanly possible. It is something to be concerned about, but I, I truly, honestly do not think that it's a problem that's going to be solved until we start running out of food and starving to death, so take that for what you will. The Gaytheist, $5. Gods are cowards. Challenge all the gods to a fight against you. Even give yourself handicaps. They'll still be too chicken to show up. It's a very good point. Uh, Ryan Desamurai donated a dollar. I appreciate that. Omega Riley. Looking forward to this as always. Thank you for the weekly words of wisdom, Tell. And for anyone listening, don't forget to like the podcast. I love y'all. I think you're fucking nifty. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is awesome. Omega Riley backing me up as always. Nervardia, colloidal silver is only really good for liver damage and turning you blue. It might not help with wound healing, but at least you get to be a smurf. Yeah, that that was a really good point you made. Evan Inge, honestly, joking about anything on Twitter is a way to screw up your internet. That's very true. You know what? Fuck them. I'm going to joke about what I want to joke about, and if people completely disintegrate on me, that's on them. This is my social media account. I can be as much of a dickhead as I want on it, so if they don't like it, they can go fuck themselves. Freak Show. Famine is scale. Pestilence is bow. War is sword. Death brings hell. Unfortunately, I know the story too much. That's in reference to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. That's interesting. I appreciate that super chat. Really fascinating stuff. Honestly, like the lore behind Christianity is extremely fascinating. Like really, really, really interesting. Like how did they come up with all this stuff? You know, the book of Revelation was a different genre of writing than we have today. Like we don't really have that type of genre today. For example, today we've got romance novels, we've got comedy, we've got science fiction. Those are our genres that we write in today. Well, back then they had a genre called apocalyptic and they had another one called mythology. They were just two types of writings that people wrote back then. And the book of Revelation was apocalyptic writing it was just the genre but i i do wonder how they came up with that stuff like that's it's a genuinely interesting book although nonsensical in some parts but still very interesting and then an example of the mythology genre would be the book of genesis or i think the book of daniel was also considered mythology uh either way the bible as a piece of literature is very interesting really i think it's interesting i just think it's complete bullshit from top to bottom so anyway tell you what that's where we're gonna end it for the night i appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen and i will talk to you next week If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, 
issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.